Thanks for tuning in to the Beauty Closet Podcast. Today's episode is made possible by our friends at Plum Beauty. Taking care of your skin makes an enormous difference in how you look and in how you feel. And the power of doing it at home every day instead of at the occasional spa appointment is undeniable in terms of the results you get. Plum Beauty's line of skincare devices not only make your skin look better, refreshed, supple, and more radiant, they also help bring you into the moment and take you away from your laptop and phone. We love the Ionic Facial Steamer. It feels so good and really does the job. An amethyst vibrating facial massager, it also feels incredible. And the facial hair remover, it doesn't hurt at all and it works like a dream. And those are just a few of our favorites. All Plum Beauty devices work on every skin type, are easy to use at home, and are priced so gently, it's kind of unbelievable. Find Plum Beauty at your local CVS and Target stores, or shop online. Visit myplumbeauty.com to find a store location near you. Hi there, I'm Jean Godfrey June, and this is Megan O'Neill. We are the beauty editors at Goop. And you're listening to Goop's podcast series, The Beauty Closet. We talk about all things beauty, clean, non-toxic beauty, skincare, hair care, body care, self-care, and the way we think about beauty, both as individuals and in the wider culture. Oh my God, we've been so, so, so excited about today's guest for weeks. She is such a good one. And her podcast is, I think, both of our favorites and the one we listen to the most, both of us. Sure. <laughs> Today, we have Monica Padman, co-creator and co-host of Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, which I first started listening to when Monica and Dax interviewed GP. And then that interview just totally drew me into the whole thing. I could not be more excited. Listening to Dax and Monica is like my secret relaxation. It's like the treat when I'm driving or I'm cooking or I'm doing like a chore. It's like this cheat that turns that whatever activity I don't want to do into something that's like just for me, nobody else. (laughs) I feel like their guests are the most fascinating people. I feel like I learn so much. They ask the best questions and they just have the best chemistry in the world, the two of them. They're curious and funny and smart. And Monica's voice is what keeps it honest and real for me. She's always fact-checking, keeping them on the straight and narrow. They're both just so human and present. It's just my favorite thing. I know. And, and they really go there. It's hard to be that honest about yourself. And I'm, I'm not just entertained when I listen to them. I learn so much too. And I reflect on myself. And I listen in the morning, usually when I'm doing my Pilates workout. And it just makes it so much more exciting. <laughs> True. Monica's an actress and has appeared in movies and TV shows, including Chips, The Good Place, and Ryan Hansen Solves Crimes on Television. She's been nominated for an Emmy for producing the show Momsplaining, hosted by Kristen Bell, and she also produces and edits Armchair Experts. And my favorite thing is her new show, it's a, sort of an offshoot of Armchair Expert called Monica and Jess love boys, which is sort of a dating show where they get experts like Esther Perel to give the dating advice. It's just brilliant. I can't wait. Let's get to Monica. Monica, we are such fans. I I can't even begin to say how much you've personally helped me through the quarantine with both Armchair Expert and (laughs) Monica and Jess Love Boys. Oh, Uh, thank you. And I remember hearing you talk. I remember the, even the intersection I was at. I can't remember which episode, but you were talking about some beauty products. And I was like, oh my God, she likes beauty. We're going to call her. <laughs> I, I'm such a fangirl. So. <laughs> Did you I'm ever- so grateful you heard that because I love beauty and I love skincare oh. and I love that whole realm so much. And oh, I so love good. goop. So when I got the email, I was like, what? This can't be. This is a simulation. Oh, so good. Well, did you ever, when you guys were first getting this idea to have the podcast and figuring it out, did you ever imagine that it would become what it is today? No, no, no. (laughs) Dax and I just loved arguing and we did that as a hobby and he (laughs) wanted to start a podcast because he felt like the times he had done it. Uh, other people's podcasts he had been a guest on he's like man people like really connected with that level of communication and that type of media because it's so honest and personal 
And he was sure. like, I think I want to do that. And I was like, yeah, I'll help you. Let's, let's do it. We'll all figure it out. We were just truly, it was a passion project. It was just like, oh, this will just be something fun we get to do. We'll get to talk to some cool people and debate and do the thing we already enjoy doing so much. And so there was truly, and I, I think it sounds crazy at this point, there was no expectation at all. And there was a gajillion, as you know, podcasts. Podcast, so yeah. I was like, there's no reason this one would be anything, yeah. but it, it has been the greatest joy. And to just see that people connect with it and connect with the vulnerability. I think, I mean, for us, that's like, we're like, oh my God. Yeah. Everyone wants to feel seen. Truly. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's, it's definitely a huge, like bright spot in my day. It's like the treat I give myself when I, especially if I have a chore or something, I'm like, I'll listen <laughs> to this and then I'll have fun instead of doing a boring chore. Yes. <laughs> and and I, I listen when I work out in the morning and it makes working out like so much more enjoyable. That's the greatest compliment because it is hard to make working out enjoyable. You guys, so you co-created it and you produce it. You just, you just sort of like learn to produce. Yes. Well, we brought in Rob, my co-producer to handle like logistical stuff. Mm -hmm. And I have met with this woman, Elizabeth Lame, and she has a pod. She and her husband had a, a bunch of podcasts, actually, and I loved them. And I just kind of asked a friend who I knew who knew her to, like, connect me. And I was like, can I pick your brain on this? And she let me. She was so gracious. During that process, I was like, e, I don't know that I want to learn, like, I mean, ironically, this year I have had to learn it because now mm -hmm. we're in a whole new situation. But at first I was like, I don't really know if I need to learn how to like do the board and do the whole thing, the soundboard and stuff like that. Exactly. So I was like, I think we might maybe should bring in somebody for that. So we brought in Rob and then, and then I kind of produced creatively. It's been just a great team and it's just us three, still just us three. Can you take us a little through how the partnership with Dax came about? You were on a TV show with Kristen, then you did some babysitting for them, became their nanny, and then became close friends. How did that evolve? Yes. Yeah, so I had mutual friends with them. And so I would see them at parties and stuff, you know, like every now and then, but very, very base acquaintance level. That's it. And I then did an episode of House of Lies, which was Kristen's show. Mm -hmm. And so when I arrived, she was like, oh, you, like, I know you. And we started talking and she had just had her first Lincoln. And I was like, you know, if you ever, I was babysitting at the time. That's how I was making money. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, if you ever need a babysitter, you know, I'm around. And she's like, great. And like a week later, she was like, do you want to come babysit? And so I was just like doing date night babysitting for them. And then you know, that kind of morphed into coming on full time as the nanny once I had their second. And then that morphed into me being Kristen's assistant, which has now morphed into being partners. And then, so throughout this whole process, we're also just becoming best friends. You know, like I'm there yeah. all the time. We all connect so well. And like I said, Dax and I would just have these like kitchen table arguments, you know, mm -hmm. and, and just enjoy each other's company so much. And so then it was just like, yeah, let's do a thing. Do it. And how did the, especially the fact check idea, like you becoming this fact checker, even though obviously you're so much more than that, but how did that, how did the roles evolve? Like I'm a huge Howard Stern fan. Was that show mm -hmm. influence? Dax's idol is Howard Stern. He's obsessed with him. And so, yes, I'm sure there was an element of like the co-hosting piece, mm -hmm. I'm sure was sort of informed by that. But it was totally Dax's idea to do fact checking, which I love. And I think so good. Because of the whole notion of being an armchair expert and him just like spouting off facts he doesn't know is, <laughs> is, is, is funny, but we also don't want to promote like, yeah, just pretend yeah. you know everything. Fake news. Like, you yeah, know, right. we're not. Exactly. Exactly. Especially in the era of fake news. Right. Yeah. So that was totally his idea. And it was, it's, and then it's just an excuse for us to just like debrief and have fun and get mad at each other and, and also laugh. Yeah. Okay. And, and you're an actor. Did you always want to be one? Well, uh, yes. 
I decided I wanted to be an actor when I was in eighth grade and I had not done any acting at all. (laughs) And so I just was watching TV basically and was like, I want to do that. Yeah. Having no idea. And then in ninth grade, I started doing plays and got into theater and stuff. And then I majored in theater in college. And then I lived in Atlanta. That's where I'm from for a year after that and did like a couple co-star things. And then I knew comedy was really my focus and I felt Mm -hmm. like LA was the place, LA or New York, but I picked LA was the place to really like delve into that. Cool. Okay. And let's, let's go back a little. So you, you grew up in Atlanta and you've Mm -hmm. talked about how you were often one of the only, if not the only Indian person in the room. How did that affect the way you felt about how you looked to get into the beauty? Great, great question. Let's get, let's go there, please. I will clarify, because I I know that if anyone hears this who went to my high school, they'd say, you were not the only Indian person in the room, because I wasn't. (laughs) Definitely not the majority. And I was the only person of color in my group of friends. And I was the Mm. only person of color in in God, like for lack of a better words, like the popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was a cheerleader, you know, like, and, and there were, there were a few people, but definitely the only Indian person. I mean, my standard of beauty was so based in white American culture, you know, right. and I wanted to be as fair skinned as possible. I wanted all the features that I didn't have. I really did not like the way I looked. I mean, I still don't. I'm working on it, but I, I still don't. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. Thank you. It's just, I, it's ingrained. You know, it starts yeah. when you're young and, and it's so hard to shed. And then it's so funny on our podcast, we just interviewed Amy Poehler. It hasn't come out yet, but we were just interviewed oh. her. And was, I know that, that for me was just like, what is my life? I don't, I do not understand <laughs> how I got here. But she was talking about beauty. Dax had started by saying like, they're really good friends. And, and he was like, you, you look so good. Or, am I even allowed to say that anymore? And she was like, you can say it to me. Like I, <laughs> I need to hear it. And I always, and I'm looking at her, I'm like, you are so beautiful. The fact that you can't internalize it, you know, is yeah. you, you can always see it when you're on the outside, but when it's you, it's harder. But yes, so I had a a beauty ideal that was not even close to my reach. So it always felt like something I didn't have and I wanted. Okay. Um, How, yeah. How important was physical beauty in your household growing up? Like, was it something Mm. your family talked about or did they not dwell upon it? That's a great question. They did not dwell upon it at all. I mean, it's funny. So my grandmother is from India. So so are my parents. Your parents, right? Yes. But my mom grew up in America. She, they came over when my mom was six. So she essentially grew up completely in America. And so my grandmother grew, you know, her whole life was in India and I'm sure it's changed, but my grandmother's era has very specific ideas of beauty too, because of colonization. And it's similar. It's like, fair skinned is better, you know, things like that. And so I do remember, and this is not a knock on her because she didn't, you know, she was a fish in this water that she was talking to someone on the phone. I was there and it was her sister or something, someone in India. And what I gathered is they asked her about me and they asked her how I looked, like if I was pretty. (laughs) and yeah and my grandmother's response was like kind of just like a lukewarm response it wasn't like no she's not but it was very lukewarm and I heard it you know and I was just like oh god and my grandmother is incredibly beautiful oh like, you posted that picture of her she's like the most striking person ever yeah Dax's like like whole plan is to take a time machine go back, go in, back time. in time <laughs> exactly so you can like woo her and so, <laughs> so within the family like she's beautiful my mom is gorgeous and and you know I always felt like oh I just didn't really like get that but th- but <laughs> my mom never ever placed any importance on it they were you know they were really just like 
just be smart, just like do something <laughs> secure. They didn't care. I just remember I would come home. I was in fifth grade, I think. We were in PE class and there was a girl, uh, like a really cute girl who mm-hmm. was white. And I was like, oh, I just wish I could look like her. Like, I just don't look like her. Everyone likes her. And, and I like noted that she had really short legs. <laughs> oh and, I mean, we were in fifth grade and I came home and I'm really short, but actually my legs proportionally are a little bit long for my body. And mm-hmm. good thing. I came home and I told my mom, now I can embrace that. But I told my mom, I was like, oh, I just like, I really wish I had short legs. Oh my God. And she <laughs> just kind of looked at me and was just like, nobody wants that. And then just like kept like, <laughs> The train moving. Like she, she couldn't entertain those ideas very much. And I think she was just like, yeah, you, I made you and you're beautiful. <laughs> you know, like she, they just didn't care, but I cared a ton. I was really like riddled with insecurity about my, I definitely relate to that. When <laughs> I had the opposite, like I think all tell you, right? I spend my life, like, you know, since I was in high school, like self-tanning furiously to try to change my skin. You know, I know, so like you, you I can't know. Win. You always want what you don't have. I know. It's crazy. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get right back to Monica Padman. We love an at-home spa moment here at Goop. After a long day or a long week, one of the best things you can do for yourself is step away from your laptop, leave your phone in the next room and devote a few minutes to taking care of your skin. Plum Beauty's line of skincare devices not only make your skin look better, refreshed, supple, more radiant, they also help bring you into the moment and take you away from your laptop and your phone. Their best-selling Ionic Facial Steamer helps detoxify pores and leave skin clean, hydrated, and primed to absorb any serums or potions you might apply after. Holding your head over the warm stream of steam also feels incredible, exactly like a professional facial. The Amethyst Vibrating Facial Massager gently vibrates, waking up your entire face and helping products penetrate more effectively. Pro tip, dab on your favorite eye cream, then hold the facial massager over the under eye area to help the formula sink in. It feels fantastic and there's this great, subtle depuffing effect too. The facial hair remover uses rotary blade technology to painlessly remove hair. It's just an amazing device and it works like a dream. Every Plum Beauty device works, no matter your skin type, is easy to use at home, and the gentle prices always kind of blow us away, especially considering the kinds of results they're delivering. The idea is to look like the most rejuvenated, relaxed, gleamiest version of yourself. Plum Beauty is the no-brainer solution, hands down. Find Plum Beauty at your local CVS and Target stores or shop online. Visit myplumbeauty.com to find a store location near you. Okay, let's get back to our chat with Monica Padman. When did you discover like beauty products? Do you remember I was, getting into it? Yeah, I know me and my friends started like doing like, you know, the blue eyeshadow, the glitter, like all of that fun 90s, early 2000s makeup. When I was in middle school, I would say, it's like when we started dabbling in that. And my aunt, who I was and am very close to, also loves makeup. And I would sometimes like do sleepovers at her house. And I, we would like, I would like look through her makeup and she always had like awesome stuff and would like teach me how to like put something on or like all these like Bobby Brown products. And like, and she would like really inform me, like there'd be a brand that I would be like, Oh, this person has this. And she would just be like, yeah, well, you know, the, that brand isn't very good for our skin. And then I would be mad again. Like, wait, yeah. no, I can't have that. <laughs> She was really good about being like, well, these are great, and this is great, and she's the first, like, I think the first lipstick mm-hmm. I ever owned, other than, like, you know, lip smackers, was Black Honey, was Clinique's oh, Black oh, Honey. We, we know Black and Honey. <laughs> God, we all know Black Honey, and it was like, I think you should try this, and it looked great. And it was so fun to, like, get immersed in that world, and so I just, I, like, loved it immediately. Cool. Okay. So you, you wore the cool makeup. You're, you know, you were gorgeous. You were a cheerleader. Did, did having that sort of validation 
change the way you felt at all about yourself? No. Really? <laughs> no, because... like, I don't know. Really? Nothing? I know. Well, here's what I'll say. What I say about popularity, I, I wasn't popular. I was very well liked. So I was in like a lot of groups and I was a cheerleader, but I was never the at like the, I wasn't the alpha, but mainly because I chose not to be like, I chose that was sort of my in is like, I'll be your number two. I'll be your number two. I'll be like, it was like my way of making myself valuable to them. Yeah. And I relate to them. It was, I mean, it was totally a mechanism. Like now I can see it was all subconsciously happening then, but now I'm like, Oh, I just, I needed to be everyone's number one so that I felt like they could never abandon me or something, something horrible like that. I did never had a boyfriend. And boys did not in my, the boys that I was attracted to were not attracted to me. So that was the standard that I set, you know, I was like, oh, like, yeah, I'm like, well liked and I'm a cheerleader and I'm this and that, but no one wants to date me. So I'm ugly so or not, I'm not um, lovable or I'm, you know, like all, all the things you do as, as a young person that you have to grow out of as an adult, I can see like, oh, it's so sad. I let these like teenage boys dictate my self-esteem. But that's what you have to go on at that age. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. That's a good way of putting it, though, that your self-esteem is dependent on teenage boys when you're a teenage girl. Like, you're screwed. Like, (laughs) yes. Oh, my God. We're leaving it to teenage boys? Like, oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) Well, uh, speaking of men and women, anyway, on the podcast, you're often the only woman in the room. Like, how yeah. do you get your voice heard? Like, you always manage to, to get in there and say what needs to be said. Have there ever been guests that were like, oh, you, this person isn't important? Do you have to maneuver? Mm-hmm. Or? That's a good it's tricky. It's always a dance. You know, I only speak up during the episodes when it feels like I'm adding something new or a different opinion. You know, I'm not really there to be an echo chamber. So mm-hmm. sometimes that means we're in an episode and we're 25 minutes in and I haven't said anything. Mm-hmm. And so that is not necessarily because of the guest or Dax or anything. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, like everything's being said that needs to be said. If I have an opinion that's new or different or a question that's new or different, then I'll pipe in. So it is a balance and it's taken us a long time. It's taken me a long time. At the very beginning, I was really self-conscious in that space. I didn't know when to speak. I didn't know if I could, you know, we're sitting yeah. there with like a jet Apatow and I'm, you know, I'm... <laughs> wanting to be an act, you know, I had been wanting to be an actor since I was in eighth grade. And I'm sitting there with this person and I'm just like, Oh, like I need him to know that I'm interesting or that I'm smart or I'm funny. Like I have something to contribute. And then I just kind of like let a lot of that go of those feelings of like trying also because when you're trying, you don't, you're not any of those things. <laughs> you're not, yeah, you're not, you're not in the you're moment. Not. Yes. Yes. So I just was able to sort of let it go. We also, and this is such a silly thing. We literally rearranged the space. Oh. So I used to sit on the couch with the guest and Dax was in front of us. Uh-huh. Um, and now my chair is next to Dax's. So we're both looking at the oh, guests. Yeah. The guest is looking at both of us. Yeah. It does. It, it makes, I think it's just better for them. Cause at first there was a sense of just like, they always have, like, if I'm talking and they're like, oh, now this person's talking over here. Like it was just not a good flow. So that helped a lot. And yeah, just like giving up this notion of I have to speak or I have to say something or, you know, it's just like, Oh, sometimes you just don't have to. And if, but if you have something you want to add or you feel is contributive, do it, you know, and like make sure that your voice gets heard. And sometimes I'll just say like, oh, I have something to say. You know, you just like have to kind of be bold about it. Be bold about it. Yeah. And you, you and Dax get really vulnerable and honest. Like that's your thing. It's amazing. But how hard is that for you? Like revealing intimate feelings and things. It's, it's so brave, I think. Thank you. I feel like it gives, it's a lot of people say that and it's giving us a lot of credit that's maybe not earned because <laughs> we are really vulnerable and really honest. 
But I think it's because we feel safe with each other. I mean, we're best friends. So mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like I, I'm sharing with the whole world. It feels mm -hmm. like I'm just talking to my best friend. And it's kind of a cheat in a lot of ways because we do. We say everything. But we're not hyper aware of the fact that we're saying it to like a bunch of people who are listening. It just feels like this very small, intimate space. Right. And then we just feel fine about putting it out. But, you know, it's not like we're, I mean, the live shows are a little different, but those are less intimate. So, yeah, I, would, I think it's just the trick of having a partner who you feel comfortable enough with, to be honest. And then you just kind of like, then we give it to Rob and he puts it out, <laughs> you know, so it's <laughs> makes like, it happen. Just, it yeah. Feels, I mean, yeah. yes, it's just all organic. And sometimes the comments are like, ah, oh God, now like everyone knows this about me. But <laughs> also you just start realizing like, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Like everyone can relate to everything. I mean, Monica and Jess was a really big oh, step for, sure. for that. That it's was harder for sure because it was, you know, you're like, you're all your insecurities. Yeah, I mean, everything you're really most. Late. <laughs> it's for the people most. who haven't seen it. It's the setup is that you and Jess are going to get dating advice from incredible experts. Like my favorite one was the Esther Perel one, but like all of them were amazing. And they give you these things to do on your dates, like instructions. Yeah, we have and challenges at the end of each episode, which is so, <laughs> it was so fun. Yeah, it was so yeah. fun and it was so boundary pushing for us personally. It was, it was so helpful. And I think that's kind of the armchair umbrella. And we know we have other shows under our umbrella too that we're producing a couple, like one coming out later this month. And they're all just like growth. Like yeah. it's all kind of just about personal growth and like owning your shit. I think what we've learned through all these podcasts, especially like I said, Monica and Jess, because it was so, I was nervous. I was like, this is so specific. It's like literally my problems and literally Jess's problems. Jess's problems. And yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, how's anyone going to relate? And the amount of people who are just like, this is me. I could relate. Even so many married people, which I was like, I mean, it was the highest compliment that, huh. yeah, we're all going through like the same five things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter where you are in the relationship. <laughs> it certainly covers all ends of it. How did you guys dream it up in the first place? Monica and Jess? Yeah. So we had a running joke on armchair that Monica loves boys. Like <laughs> it was like a, just a funny thing we would say. And cause I was really boy crazy when I was younger, again, in a bizarre way, I was boy crazy. Like I had all the posters and I had all these fantasies, but I didn't have any boyfriends, you know? So it was <laughs> all like in this like kind of made up world. We talked about that a lot on, armchair and so yeah. there's this whole Monica loves boys and and then there was just Dax and I think had just been like oh well, like I should do like a Monica loves boys podcast that'd be fun and he was like yeah that'd be great and then I started thinking about it and I was like well what's it gonna be just me by myself talking that doesn't make any sense so I brought Jess in who is our friend who we love and I just thought this would be so fun because we're so different and we both had these big issues regarding relationships and they're, they are seemingly opposite issues though. Come to find out they are not. Sure. But again, again, they're all the same thing, <laughs> but just manifest in much different ways. So I just thought like that juxtaposition would be fun. And Jess and I are just have like a fun banter. I love them so much. And we just thought that would just be a fun thing to do. You always want the thing to also be a fun thing to do because <laughs> oh, totally. that, that will read, you know, that's like what you said, you and, Dax are best friends. And obviously that, that could be so fun working with your best friend, but were you ever hesitant about working together for fear of, you know, jeopardizing the friendship? Well, I wasn't, but we've had rocky moments. I mean, yeah. I, I wasn't hesitant, but like maybe I should have been, <laughs> but maybe I should have been <laughs> thinking about that because yeah, we've had some real hard moments balancing that you know it's really hard and you know, look and also Kristen 
and I are best friends and we also work together. So I already had that. So I think I felt fine. And we've had hard moments too, but I think it's a matter of committing to the relationships being like, well, we're kind of like, you know, like a marriage. We're in yeah. this mm-hmm. and we're going to figure out how to work through this, you know, and with security, not feeling like, well, what if this is going to all fall apart or, you know, yeah, like, okay, we're committed. Well, yeah, I get that. Yeah, but it is hard. I mean, the person, I mean, like all of my therapy sessions are about the professional and personal <laughs> relationships <laughs> that are all melded together and that it's really hard, but it's also the most rewarding. Like the highs are so high when you achieve them with your best friends, you know? Yeah, that, I mean, you're, when you guys are always talking about like, oh, we were all on this vacation together, we went here, it just sounds so great, especially in COVID, where everybody's apart from their friends and being able to connect. We're so lucky. I mean, at the beginning of COVID, I was living with them because I had a seizure in February last year, and Kristen was there for that, and then I, so I was staying with them for a bit and then COVID happened and then I was like, well, I guess we're just going to double down on this. So I was living with them for like a while. It's just so lucky to have people. And I think we just take that for granted and COVID has highlighted that and underlined it and circled it. So, you know, so many times it's just like, whoa, we need each other. For sure. Back to Monica and Jess for one second. Is it happening again or was it a one-time there will be a season two. Oh. I can't give too many details, but there will be a season two. It will be a little different. It'll still be me and Jess, but it's a different format. It's kind of the next level. Like, you know, we learned about ourselves and what do we do with that info? Like, what's the next level? So it's kind of all I can say right now, but it, it, yes, we are working on a season two. Okay. Maybe you answered this when we were talking about high school stuff, but in the episode of, or in Monica and Jess, when you're talking to Esther Perel, the sex therapist, you guys talk about how feeling physically attractive as a woman can often come more from the reactions of other women than men. How true Mm. is that for you, do you think? I think it's tricky. I want to say I agree. Well, Again, I have like some old vestigial wiring from being young and making boys give me the vow, like letting, putting the onus on the boys to tell me if I was pretty or if I was beautiful. So I have some of that leftover thing a little bit, but I also do agree. Like, yeah, I, but I also do really take in women who I respect, the women around me, their opinions of me and their standards of, like, I I can believe them to an extent when they say nice things about <laughs> me or they, you know, what but yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I soar more when I get a compliment from a woman because it's different. Really? I think so. Yeah. Because from a man, it's different. It's like, it's, is it even? It, it, they're, it seems like they're responding to something else. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, the yeah. woman is like that outfit. Yeah. Whereas the guy is like, yeah. you look. Oh, clothes for sure. <laughs> I think so. Except I will say certain compliments from men that are more about the overall aura. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those I get the most esteem from when I'm, when we're talking about beauty, obviously I get yeah. esteem from yeah. so yeah. many Definitely. When we're talking about physicality and stuff. And when a guy says something like, oh, you're so sexy. That's a weird thing. I know that they are not saying that I look sexy because if I'm in a sweatshirt, I don't. (laughs) But so I know that what they're saying is like, your vibe is that like either yeah, something is working for me fun or right. cool or, exactly it's working for me and and i really love those compliments because that's like oh yeah that's me that's me yeah. and that is cool that that can get recognized yeah well and going further with the specifics with beauty your skin is gorgeous what do you what do you do for it what is your routine regimen philosophy <laughs> oh yeah Well, first of all, thank you. And it's pretty much the best compliment I 
can ever receive because I, my skin used to be really, really bad. Really? Um, I used to have, oh, horrible. I used to have a really bad cystic acne, all hormonal. It went away when I got on birth control, which is how I knew that that was really the root cause of it. I had tried everything and I've gone through bouts. I was on birth control for a really long time. Then I got off of it and my skin had was stayed fine for a little bit, but then it, it like blew up again. It was the exact same thing, but I really mm-hmm. did not want to go back on the pill. So I was trying, I did, oh my God, acupuncture. I did, <laughs> I mean, everything. I tried every single product on the market and I was like, I need it. I need, I need the medication. Because, yeah. And yeah. I don't know now, like, again, there's always parts of me that's like, maybe I should try that again and see, but also I also feel fine being on it um, for now. But, and I still like, I still, I will still break out and everything, but nothing like it used to be. So I mean, oh God, just so many days of like not wanting to go out or not wanting to do anything because it's it's all anyone can see and there's just nothing you can do it's your face (laughs) it's It's crazy it really is it really is and so yes so a compliment about my skin looking nice is the best one I can get because I have worked for it I will I will say (laughs) that and I don't take it for granted like I really don't I am really uh disciplined about skincare. And now I've been on like sort of the same routine for a while, which is in the morning, I I have a, a cleanser. It's a salicylic acid cleanser from my dermatologist. Nice. I'm always like trying stuff out and then deciding. So I, I, I kind of have a little obsession with buying stuff. Trying, trying it out. Checking out. It's so fun. It is so fun. I do that, and then I do a vitamin C serum after that, and yes, then I do a sunscreen awesome. that also has a hyaluronic acid in it, in it. So that's my morning, and it's been working for me really well. And then my night routine is the same cleanser, and then the IS Clinical Active Serum, which is the their blue one, and yeah. then I do a Barbara Sturm moisturizer and i also am addicted to the patches the acne patches yeah i have zit sticker but there's all I, I there's another brand that i really like that's like super another. cheap you get like a huge packet for like 10 bucks or something and mm-hmm. i'm always like if i feel like even like the tiniest thing starting to form i just like sleep with one on one there the morning is gone it is magic so, yeah those good. are good and They're are, so good. Are you into clean beauty at all? Yes. If there is a product that works well for my skin that is clean, I will always pick it. But I also, since you gotta I have, have some PTSD, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also just like, yeah, I also just got to do what I got to do. But yes, if there is a good clean beauty product, I... I Love it. Currently, my foundation is a Westman Atelier. Uh, we love oh, it. So good. Yes. But truly, most days, obviously most days in 2020, but even yeah. before that, I am pretty much makeupless. Like, mm-hmm. I really do not wear much makeup anymore. And I used to wear so much, and it feels like free. It feels like a freedom yeah. to just be like, my face can go without it. Like I just, it's a luxury to be, it's a privilege. And I really own that when I can. Do you do any like goopy self-care things like, you know, crystal changing and I don't know, massages or like, is it, you know? (laughs) Oh God. I love a massage so much. It sounds so privileged again, to keep using that word Mm -hmm. to, to say that, but I love a massage. I miss massages so much. I cannot even tell you. I really let myself indulge in that. Like this is going to be an indulgence. I'm going to let myself have a massage once every few weeks and do it. Like it, I, I just feel so 
relax after it's so hard for me to get into a relaxed state mm-hmm. i meditate i try you know i try really hard but it's it's counterintuitive to all of my my natural <laughs> neurons you know they just want to fire nonstop, and so i have to work really hard to like get centered and so massages really did that i used to also get facials once a month Mm. especially when I started seeing results and I would do like microdermabrasion. So the exfoliation was so great. And that was another thing I was like, look, this is a place I'm going to choose to spend money. It's not cheap, but I feel better and I feel good about going out into the world again, like not having, not feeling like, Oh, I need to cover my face up with this or that. And I just, yeah, I have not done that in a while, obviously. Corona, but even yeah. before that, I had taken a break from those as well. But yeah, I love self care. I love love a manicure. I like so all good. of it. I really get, I get like a high off of those things. Yeah, it's fun to pamper yourself. Okay, and what it what is. about what about clothes? I guess mm-hmm. your quarantine uniform is a sweatsuit. Same here, but <laughs> big time. <laughs> I've been wearing. Kangai sweatsuits for a full year. And I love them. I mean, Kristen and I have so many and it's kind of (laughs) embarrassing, but also we've been wearing them every day. So part of me's like, well, I do think I've got my money's worth because I'm wearing them. (laughs) For Um, sure. But I love shopping and I love clothes so much. Normally when it's not sweatsuit and the world is back in business. Mm -hmm. Normally, I would say I really like mixing like a high and a low. So I like a high-waisted Levi's jean with a like girly top, like a ruffled sleeve or like a puff sleeve, probably tucked in, and like then a tennis shoe or a Jordan (laughs) or something to like even out the like girliness. That's probably like, that'd be like my go-to. And I have just so many of those things, like so many of those types of jeans, so many like girly tops and then Mm -hmm. like lots of tennis shoes. I'm not into heels anymore yeah i mean i have them but i just am never picking them never Uh, Um, sneaker is like you feel beautiful and comfortable and confident i do i do and like also docs like i have a doc martens i wear a ton Mm -hmm. of yeah with like a skirt and a graphic tee like i just like doing a A mix mix. i also love color and i love pattern and i'm not afraid to like mix all those up oh like Megan O'Neill. I feel like Hollywood is probably the most difficult place or industry to feel beautiful in. When you moved out there, did you feel a different pressure? And how do you deal with that pressure that turns a lot of people into like plastic surgery, you know, all that stuff? Yes. Well, I think the unfortunate answer is I didn't feel that because I had already felt that. Mm. Like it wasn't like I got to LA and I was like, oh no, I used to be a big fish in a small pond and now I'm not. Like, I was like, oh yeah, this feels the same. Like there's still everyone around me who's, who I wish I looked like, you know. In fact, I will say, I actually think LA has brought me more confidence, which is a little bit counterintuitive, but I stopped trying to be the thing I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And really started owning the thing I was because I had no choice. <laughs> you know, when I was in high school, like I was trying very hard yeah. to be like everybody else. When I got here, I was like, well, I'm just not like, I'm just not that model. There's nothing I can do. If we're both going into an audition, me trying yeah. to look like her is not going to be the thing that gets it. It's going to be me. It's going to be my personality. And once I started, especially in the commercial world, I've done a, a lot of commercials, mm. very grateful for that. And I think that gave me so much confidence because it was really my personality in, in those auditions that was make, helping me book them mm. and my, you know, I think improv skills and those types of things. And I was like, Oh, the, the that's what it is. It's pulling on the thing you already have, not are. trying to get something you don't. Exactly. And once I really embrace that, then things start coming to you. You know, I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. you own your 
good qualities yeah. and your strengths. And that was another thing. Like all I wanted for so long was to be the same. And mm -hmm. once I came out here, I was like, oh my God, how do I stand out? Because there's so many so people. Many. I was like, oh, I already stand out. I already do. Like I'm already different. So just like be that. Has the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the way the pandemic's highlighted racial disparity, has that changed how you and Dax approach your work? And, and do you think the industry's changing? Yes and no. I mean, it changed our work in the fact that we made it a point that we are, were adding an episode a month that was going to specifically talk about race uh, in America because we did not want it to be a thing that's like, oh, there's a big protest for a day. A week, and then <laughs> and we're all posting on Instagram and posting the black square and then everyone forgets. You know, right. like yeah. we decided early, like, mm, let's just keep up this conversation. This is important. This is not going away. And it will definitely not get better if we continue to ignore it and just can perpetuate the cycle. So in that way, it's changed our work and that we've added that conversation in very specifically. But him and I have a lot of t discussions about race, always have. And so maybe it's made those... Really what I think it's done is just made those conversations more like yeah, maybe when other people hear us debate those things, they're like, oh, I get it a little more. Like mm -hmm. now that it's a little bit more in the ether, they mm -hmm. can connect with it. Because I think before when it was just me and him, it was like, oh, yeah, because Dax is white and Monica is not. Right. Monica is a person of color. So they're having this. But but now that the world is highlighting it a bit more, I think it they hear our conversations a bit differently. I hope. I think they're super powerful just because people think there's sort of one way to think about race and just hearing exactly. people have a conversation about it makes you go, okay, you know, this is worth exploring rather than trying to just, like you say, put a black box on Instagram and be like, okay, I, my, my position has been formed. I, exactly. Like, and it's hard. They're hard conversations. I get it. Mm -hmm. But they, they have to happen. I mean, they just have to happen. And I think that's something we really push is in general is just hard conversations have to happen. But, you know, mm. these specifically, there's no way to grow and for us to fix systems if we aren't having individual conversations too. We'll talk about a hard conversation. <laughs> Dax's struggles with addiction this year were obviously, you know, hard for everyone. And I really related yeah. to it. I've spent a lot of time in Al-Anon. So I'm in touch with that feeling of being like the bummer responsible one. And I imagine it's something, you know, both sides, people are coping with even more all the time because of being in the pandemic. How did you cope yeah. with that? It seemed like such a difficult position. It was really hard, but... This is going to sound like a weird thing to say, but, and I, maybe I said it on day seven, which was the episode that we kind of talked, talked a about lot it. about it. Really my main feeling when he told us was relief because mm. I knew, and I was asking, I was straight up asking and I yeah. was getting no's, you know, I was getting gaslit. And when he it just felt like, oh my God, finally, like I've been waiting for this moment. Now we're here. I felt relief. And, you know, Kristen and I talked about this a little bit because I'm a very skeptical person in general. I'm just like mm -hmm. always kind of like picking and like looking for the thing and just being skeptical. And she is not, she is such a good, like, you know, she's, she's just good. Like she believes in that everyone is doing their best and that, and she's not poking holes and like looking for the places that are problems. Yeah. And so I think I was really like, things are going on, like something's going on and I don't like it. And I don't really think she was in that place. Yeah. And so when he told me, it was weird. I said, I think it's like a whole bunch of bricks were lifted off my shoulders because I was like, oh, finally. And I just like drop all the bricks. But a shit ton of bricks were dropped on hers. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, because she was like, oh, my God. Like she was really now having to cope with a lot of stuff that she was not in that mindset, like yeah. prepared for. 
And so there was a lot of different things happening there. And they're so strong and they're such a good couple and they just work on their stuff and they are not shy about it being hard. You know, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Still processing and all of that. Yeah, but I was just really relieved and I was really happy that he asked for help. It's so hard for him and everyone, I think, Mm -hmm. to do. There was also this period of time where he was like, where he had told us and, but he still wasn't gonna like be out with that information. Yeah, yeah. Then he decided he needed to, especially for our listeners, because we have a lot of sober listeners, yeah, who are in sobriety and he felt like, you know, he owed them that. And, you know, the response is always beautiful. It's always like, grateful that he shared that and I think has helped so many people and yeah being perfect is not what's helpful <laughs> it's a mistake yeah, definitely. <laughs> what helps people you know learning from other people's mistakes and from your own so yeah it was a lot but ultimately I think it was really healing and it needed to happen yeah yeah well that that was an amazing episode and and you have so many talents. You're this amazing podcast host. You act. You've been nominated for an Emmy for producing Mom's Blaming. You have so many talents. Do you have a vision of how you want your career to go or do you you keep it more loose? I keep it pretty loose. I actually think that's sort of the trick. (laughs) Somebody, I think like some of the best advice I ever heard was love the thing that loves you back. So I you know, I think when you, a lot of people who come out here, myself included, they have a very specific goal and then they feel like a failure because that very specific goal is extremely hard to achieve. Mm -hmm. And it's, you kind of want to follow the thing that's giving you something because you have no idea where it's going to take you. Like the, the fact that this is my career and life is Definitely not what I would have (laughs) predicted, you know, but it's so rewarding. It's exactly what I want. It's exactly what I wanted, but I I did not know that this was going to be the route, you know, and I think it's good to just like take what's in front of you if you like it, if it feels good, if it feels fun and you know, you you never have to see anything fully through if you don't want to, you know, I always say that too, like try it. And if it sucks, quit or stop or whatever, like it doesn't hurt you to try. So as far as future, I mean, I have like a few things that I would love to do, but yeah, keeping it pretty, pretty loose and seeing what happens. That's good advice. We cannot wait to see what happens. (laughs) Even on your next Monica and Jess. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun journey. It's going to be so good. Thank you so much for coming on. We could ask you 75 billion more questions. This was so fun. (laughs) Thank you. I feel I'm so flattered you guys asked me to do it. And it is a dream that we got to interview you. So that was just a dream. And I totally was like, I love you so much. And it was embarrassing, but I really, she's just amazing. And I I love her voice. I'm so, you know, used to it. (laughs) it. Yeah. Everything about her. It's crazy. I mean, certainly working in magazines, we're always all around women and whatever supermodel is talking and they're like, Oh, I was such an ugly duckling. And you're just like, give me a break. But everybody has that feeling. And I, that that point that she made about when you're a teenage girl, you're getting all your self-esteem from teenage boys. (laughs) Oh my God. The worst place to get it. Yeah. Yeah, And they're probably, they're getting all their self-esteem from teenage girls. It's probably bad for them too. (laughs) I certainly related to her sort of felt so different from everyone else. And I definitely didn't have like color of skin, but I grew up in like California and everybody was like Californian and like going to the beach. And I was always like going with my biologist family to the mountains. And it it just wasn't, you know, I wanted to be that so, so badly. Yeah. Everyone can relate on some level. Yeah. Mine was more like hers. It was like, I was the, you know, one of the very few black people. But also I went to an all-girls school. So I think that was a little different from me. Like the 
like the, the, the same onus on your, on your appearance, you know, like if you were funny and like perverted, like you were popular and cool. <laughs> it, was, it was like a little different, I think. And probably I fared a little better because of that. Yeah. Like not, not having to get all of your self-esteem from teenage boys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's, but you went to like a super fancy school, right? I did. Yeah. But like you know, New York. All kids. Yeah, it's true. I really related to her when she was talking about her grandmother, how much influence her grandmother had. I had a very influential grandmother and I had these beautiful cousins. And when she was telling that story about her grandmother sort of saying that, that she wasn't, you know, <laughs> so incredibly fine. beautiful, I totally related to that because my, like my grandmother would be like, well, you have different qualities. <laughs> and, you know, she'd always be like, oh, I love, you know, talking about the cousins, like their hair and this and that. Yeah. And I was always like, oh, my God, I just want to be in that group. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. You were the beautiful one, Jean. Oh, my God. No, you should be my cousins. They're, they're gorge. Your whole another level. My gr grandmother was correct. And it was another thing I thought of actually when I loved what she said about coming to Hollywood and that it not being that difficult because mm -hmm. she was used to feeling different and that suddenly being different was actually a benefit. And you know, oh, everybody in Hollywood is, you know, sort of cookie cutter beautiful or whatever. Yeah. It made me think of this other thing that everyone I know who's like exceptionally beautiful, you know, yeah. they like age is much more difficult for them. You know, oh, totally. like yeah. it's, it, it's like, they're like, I am losing this thing that is such a part of me and I, I love it. And I, please don't make it go away. And like, you know, not that I, I wouldn't take looking like I'm, you know, your age again, but like, I also, I don't feel a loss yeah. the way my super attractive friends are just like, you know, they that really, they so really feel it. Yeah. So, and, then, and also related to that, like, and maybe this is wrong to say, but I, I do like, it definitely is, there's something to it that people who grew up not feeling attractive and not getting that kind of attention, there is like a coolness you develop or like, you need a, something else. You need something else. Yeah. And I don't know, there are, there are a, a, quite a number of really attractive vapid. That's true. But also I think no matter what they're like, it's just, it's a, it's a challenge that like, I don't think I have to go through such a difficult challenge getting old as someone who was just stunningly beautiful right. that people like, you know, you walk in the room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that. But what was your family situation? Was beauty emphasized or not? Or at a certain age, I was really, well, I've always been really tall, but I was tall for my age and people would comment like, Oh, your daughter should be a model. And my yeah. mom would always be like, no, she's going to be a writer. You know? <laughs> it was so, so cheesy and like annoying, but it did like stick with me. Like she, my mom would tell me I was beautiful, but it wasn't like, it, it wasn't something she dwelled on, but she definitely made me feel secure and beautiful. That's a good thing. It's a good balance. My family just never discussed it ever, except for my grandmother. So and it, like, I, I really never. loved her because she would at least, you know, speak of the subject. <laughs> what if you came out looking like amazing? Like if I, oh, if I came out with, with just my family? No, yeah. if I came out looking horrible, like absolutely crazy, no one would say like, you shouldn't go out <laughs> like that. And if I looked great, they wouldn't say that either. Huh, but so my, but, nothing. Nothing. Like it was just not a topic at all. <laughs> and, but then like with my grandmother, both of my grandmothers actually were sort of more in that realm. And they, they'd say, Oh, you know, do you want to wear a dress or do you want to try this? And to be fair, my mom would, would definitely like get me dresses and things. She, she's very like tomboyish and I definitely yeah. have a tomboyish side, but I also liked feminine things and like, yeah. you know, frilly dresses and like, you know, and she was just, it was totally foreign to her. And I always, I, I always feel like a kinship with gay men who didn't feel understood like their desires. Cause I was always like, where's the lace on that? Yeah. I was kind of always searching for that. Like you boyfriend. what you always had boyfriends though. So maybe you got validation there. Too. I don't know if I was always boyfriend lady. I like, 
I feel like I was always like scrapping around and I would have a boyfriend. <laughs> it was sort of by some weird chance. <laughs> I don't, it wasn't like, oh, that girl, she's always got a guy. No, I was not that person. <laughs> I never had one. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you never had one? No, my husband right now is my first boyfriend. I'm not kidding. That has got to be a lie. Oh, isn't that crazy? Never a boyfriend. I mean, obviously I like hooked up with people, but yeah, not, yeah. Never, a, never a boyfriend until Jesse and then I married him. After breaking up, I remember yeah. the breakup was really a rough couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, he's a good one. He's, he's a good worth waiting for. Yeah, but it's kind of lame that I've had one boyfriend and married him. I don't think so at all. I mean, A, like, yeah, no, it's not like you had never experienced the opposite sex. I was super boy crazy and want, I just like, you know, sort of wanted to have that, but it was always a struggle. <laughs> so. Yeah, but, but looking back, it was all part of it, right? Like, it got you to where you are. Today. Everything gets you to where. And I, I love that, that she said at the end about go with the thing that loves you back. Oh, yeah. Seriously. I just, yeah, I want to like give that advice to my kids, especially. It is such good advice with, especially with, with anything in life, but career in particular. I think people can get really stuck on like, well, I, I have to have X, Y, Z. And it's like, life is an adventure. And if you are just going to, you know, cut yourself off to possibilities. It's not going to be as yeah. fun, in my opinion. She and Jenna Lyons said, they both said that. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I, like, I trust that. So on the site, I do a column called Megan Tries It, and you do one called Ask Jean, and we get a whole bunch of beauty questions. And we're going to answer them all here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so should we get into today's Ask Me Anythings? Or maybe ask us anything? Yes. And if anyone's listening and has a question they want us to answer here, just send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. It could be about self-tanner, crow's feet, dry shampoo, parabens, our favorite bath soak, non-toxic lube. Or anything else. Now to today's question. question is from Emily D. I have extremely dry skin. I know I need to drink more water, but what can I do to moisturize my tired dry skin and huge pores? Okay, so moisturizing your skin, not obviously in an extreme situation. If you were really dehydrated, I guess maybe your skin would start showing that it didn't have enough water, but that is not the main cause of your skin looking tired or large pores and not feeling sort of supple and nice. So yes, drink water. You should drink water for all sorts of reasons. And I think fish oil, or if you're vegan, there are some vegan preparations of omega oils. I think taking those can really help over time in terms of making your skin feel moisturized. But then the most important thing I say is sort of a two-pronged approach. You mentioned large pores and dry skin. You need some acids, some alpha hydroxy acids. You could try once a week, the Goop Glow 15% peel. You just wipe it on before you go to bed. You don't have to do any other skincare that night. It, you'll feel it tingle. It's like definitely intense and you'll wake up and wash your face and a lot of the dead skin cells debris anything that's on your skin will come off and alpha hydroxy acids in general were developed in skincare to treat extremely dry skin and you'll think oh wow you know i shouldn't put this you know harsh thing on my skin that's so dry but it will actually help it function better for a more daily product, I wouldn't do it every day, but every couple of days, we make a microderm, Goop Glow microderm. It's like a, a scrub and it's a combination of alpha hydroxy acids and a physical scrub. And I like to do it in the shower. But either way, whatever you're doing for exfoliation, the exfoliation part is really important. It's just as important as the moisturizing. So find one that works for you. And then you could find a depending on your skin, you know, you're going to want to try out different moisturizers. I love right now, I'm almost done with the Goop Jeans, <laughs> the Goop Jeans moisturizer, which is like super thick, but also sinks right in so you don't feel greasy. I'm also super into, there's a new one from Cora that has turmeric in it. It's this just bright yellow, thick cream, and it feels so good on your skin. So I love to play with different moisturizers. I also, both Megan and I love face oil. And so if you like that 
form of moisturizing better. It's fantastic. You know, I love Vintner's Daughter. Of course, love the Goop Jeans one. Demamiel makes some great, really wonderful seasonal ones. So you can buy an oil that's sort of energetically adjusted for the season. And I mean, you got to try them before, you, you know, sounds crazy, but they really are incredible. <laughs> Another one that's wonderful is uh, La Fortuna. And La Fortuna makes a blue balm that's just, it really is a, a balm. It smells incredible. It's so moisturizing and soothing. And I feel like it's kind of the perfect combo of like a moisturizer and an oil. So hope those suggestions help. But the main idea is exfoliate first, then moisturize. You need both angles. I totally like fell back in love with the peel pad last night because you said that you use it and then Jonathan uses it. Like, uh-huh. And I used it and it was, it's so good. It really, your skin does look go- glowy. It looks glowy between the acne, which I'm so happy. Okay. I see no acne. No, oh my, it's, I, I love the skin between it. I'm like happy. That's it for today's episode. Thanks again for joining us on the Goop Beauty Closet. You can learn more about our podcast series at goop.com slash beauty closet podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen to other great episodes by subscribing on Apple podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Bye.